Thank you for tuning in to the Trinity Temple Podcast, coming to you from Arkaduffy, Arkansas. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing in your life. When the Assemblies of God was formed in 1914, America was in the midst of a sweeping revival. This revival was deeply spiritual and unlike anything of its day. Unlike many present day revivals, this one was not planned. It was not promoted, nor did it work through a single person or tied to any single church or denomination. In reality, this was nothing more than a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. It was one that transcended all boundaries and reached across people of all color, age, and denomination. In April 1914, 300 Pentecostal leaders met in Hot Springs, Arkansas to discuss this revival and come together as a fellowship. That fellowship is what we know as the Assemblies of God, 1914. Two years later, 1916, this fellowship saw the need to establish some doctrinal standards. In that meeting, those standards were called the Statement of Fundamental Truths. Uh, We refer to them as our 16 fundamental truths. They are, when when they were written in 1916, have not changed, maybe just in wording, in clarification some, but these 16 fundamental truths have stayed what we as assemblies of God base our church, our beliefs upon. Four of those truths are what we call the four cardinal doctrines or the four core doctrines. Let me share with you just real quickly uh, the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. The The scripture is inspired, the one true God, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fall of man, the salvation of man, the ordinances of the church, which are water baptism and Holy Communion, the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost, sanctification, the church and its mission, the ministry, divine healing, the blessed hope, the millennial reign of Christ, the final judgment, And the new heaven and the new earth. Let me just go ahead and tell you that for the next four weeks you will get a every Sunday morning dose of those 16 fundamental truths. I'm hoping by the end of this series that you and I together can memorize them and know what we believe. These 16 fundamental truths, as I said a while ago, have not changed since 1916. They are non-negotiable truths of these of the assemblies of God and for this church. This series isn't an attempt to share where we stand and then open it for debate. This is where we stand. Let me just be clear. This is where we stand as a church. Beginning today and throughout April, we are going to cover four of these core doctrines. The four core doctrines are the salvation of man, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the blessed hope. For So beginning today, we're going to talk about these four doctrines. This morning, we're going to talk about the salvation of man. Our text is found in Psalms 82 and 5. Now, it doesn't deal with spe- specifically any four of the, or one of these four doctrines. 
It's simply a starting point. It's somewhere that, that I felt led to go to start this series on our four core doctrines, the essentials of our faith. In Psalms, eight, in Psalms 82, verse number 5, reading it from the New Living Translation, says this, But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. Core is defined as a central and often foundational part. It is the essential meaning. When the psalmist writes in Psalms 82, while the whole world is shaken to the core, we are at a time in history where our lives, our faith, our marriages, our job, our finances, our health, our mental health, everything is being shaken, being tested. Everything about our lives is under an extreme shaking. I honestly believe that. We'll talk about that here in just a few moments. Now, some people would call this bad times. That a shaking is a bad moment in our lives. And some of them will call them necessary moments in our lives. I believe our faith must be unshakable. I believe our confidence in the word of God must be unshakable. Sometimes to get to the core, we must endure shaking. We find in Hebrews chapter number 12, these words, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicates the removing removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that they cannot be shaken so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Verse number 27 indicates that the reason we face times of shaking is for a purpose. We are shaking so those things that cannot be shaken remain. How many has ever realized that there are things a part of your life that really should not be or or aren't essential to your life? There are things a part of our faith that latch on, worldly things, created things as the world says... And the word teaches us that sometimes we got to go through a shaking to remove the things that are so easily shaken so that what cannot be shaken remains. Again, let me be very clear. Our faith in Jesus Christ must be unshakable. We must be solid in our faith and understanding that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That he is, that his name is the only name we call on to be saved. We'll talk about all this here in just a few moments. Today's message is focused from the fifth fundamental truth and its title of this. God offers salvation through his son, Jesus. Now I would venture to say that most of you, if not all of you, have a favorite scripture. 
And if time permitted, we could pass the microphone around and there would probably be, all of us could probably at least quote a scripture that's our favorite or say, well, brother so-and-so got mine and mine's the same as his. We all have a favorite or a scripture anyway that we have placed or committed to memory. But how many would like to know the most important scripture in the word of God? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay, those that didn't raise your hand, you can feel dismissed because the rest of this service is just not going to be for you. Just kidding. The most, I believe, important scripture in the word of God is Jesus' words found in John 14 and 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When it comes to the things written in God's word, there are many mysteries that we don't know and probably won't know until we get to heaven. But the, the, on, but the only thing to get us to heaven is not a Bible mystery, but it's knowing Jesus Christ. You do not have to be a Bible scholar to get to heaven. But you must know Jesus. I may not have the knowledge to know who the Antichrist is. But I know who Jesus Christ is. I'm not trying so much to figure out who he is. Who this man of sin that's coming. Because I want to know more of who Jesus is. And what Jesus means to me. And what Jesus can do in my life. I believe that we as Christians ought to be about Jesus. And the word teaches us, Jesus says, I am the way. The most important central truth in God's word is that salvation is only offered and received through God's son, Jesus. The fourth of the 16 truths says that mankind, although created good and upright, chose to engage in what they knew was wrong and evil in the Garden of Eden. As a result of that choice, humankind fell from innocence and goodness and thereby brought upon themselves not only physical death, but spiritual death, which is separation from God. Humanistic philosophies teach us that the human race can be improved and moral imperfections improved through education. Education can improve a personal intellectually and socially. But belief in the saving work of Jesus Christ is the only means to improve a person morally. Let me say that again. Education can improve a person intellectually and socially. But belief in the saving work of Jesus Christ is the only means that can improve a person morally. The truth is that humankind apart from God is morally defective. Apart from God, we are morally bankrupt. Salvation restores the relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. Salvation restores the relationship with God. When we look at the Word of God, God teaches us that man's condition, he leaves no argument, no loopholes, no fogginess or beating around the bush the word teaches us this 
that while we may set our standards by right and wrong on social values, God's standard is his own, is his own holiness. When you stand before God, you're not going to say, well, you know what? I was as good or better than Jim. Or I, I had better morals than Susie. God will say, but how were you compared to my holiness? Now, that's, that's, that is a tall order. How do we measure up to this standard? It tells us in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and we've come short. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We don't measure up. Just as probably every son-in-law never measures up to his father's, the father of that girl in his eyes. Right? Now, that's probably not a good place to say amen. We fall short of God's standard. Man's choice always brings about consequences because Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a check I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking for my wages of sin because through salvation, my wages have been removed from me and placed on Jesus. The Bible compares sin to a cruel slave master. There is no mercy in suffering, no freedom in bondage, no joy, no hope for the future when sin is master. The most frightening is the final consequence of sin because James 1.15 teaches, And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Period. There's no loopholes. There's no get out of jail free cards. When sin is finished, it brings forth death. It is from this that we need to be saved. You ever had a conversation with somebody about being saved and they always ask, well, what do I need to be saved from? I just explained it. We've all sinned. We all come up short. The wages is death and sin's final consequence is death. That's what I need to be saved from. And the only way to be saved from that is to put my trust in Jesus Christ. God's holiness demands that sin be punished in full. Did you hear me? In full. His love provides a way for us to be saved from this, from this punishment. Our substitute had to be sinless, had to, had to be able to suffer the full wrath of, God against, or, 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 wrath of God against our sin. And the only one able to do that is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only one. You see, the greatest display of God's love unfolded as his son, Jesus, left heaven to become a man. The Lord, the Lord of creation became part of his creation as a man, but he lived sinless. Man hated Jesus because Jesus' righteousness showed 
or exposed their sinfulness. They nailed him to a cross and suspended him between heaven and earth and they watched him die. The Bible tells us that for three hours God laid upon his son the full punishment of our sin that we deserve. And that the darkness finally broke when Jesus cried with a loud voice, It is finished. After three days in the tomb, Jesus rose from the dead. We celebrated that last Sunday and we celebrated it all week and we will celebrate it from here on out. This is the evidence to all who saw him that all who read God's word later that, the, that our sin had fully and completely been satisfied. He was victorious over death, which by the way is the ultimate consequence to our sin. So why is John 14, 6 the most important verse in God's word? Because God offers salvation Only through his son. Only. Jesus did not say, I am one of the ways. He said, I am the way. I'm it. That's it. Period. If you plan on getting to heaven, if you plan on seeing our heavenly father, the only way to get there is by Jesus. If you're trying to be good enough, you will fail and you will spend eternity in hell. If you are attempting to buy your way in, you will fail and you will spend eternity in hell. If you come to church to gain brownie points with God, it will fail and you will spend eternity in hell. Anything outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will end in failure and eternal separation from God. I don't know if there's any more clear of a statement. Anything outside of Jesus Christ will end in failure. Now, how cruel would God be if he says the standard is my holiness and not provide us a way to get there? How cruel would that be for God to say, here's the standard. Here's what you got to measure up to. Here's the only way to heaven and then not provide that way. But I'm glad this morning he provided the way. (laughs) I'm glad this morning that I can stand here and tell you that there is a way to heaven. There is a way to the Father. There is a way for eternal peace and rest in the presence of God. And that's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else. It all fails. It doesn't matter. It boils down to do you have a relationship with Jesus? You see, God isn't cruel. He is loving. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why he rose. And that's why he offers salvation. Listen to what Peter, Peter is standing before the religious leaders of his days. And he says these words, follow along. Acts chapter number four. Let it be known to you all. And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men where which we must be saved. Buddha can't do it. Hare Krishna can't do it. Free thinking can't do it. Thinking to yourself that I can handle it won't cut the mustard. You see, Jesus said, I am the only way to God. Peter said, there is no other name by which we must be saved. The angel told Mary she would, that she would bring forth a son and call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Thomas wrote, there is one God and one mediator between God and man or men, the man Jesus Christ. John wrote, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. I believe this morning that as a church, as someone who calls himself a Christian, we or I must believe what's written in the book. And what I have just read to you in the book is very plain and very simple. We must come through Jesus. That's it. Jesus asked his disciples one day, Who do you think I am? Or who do people say I am? And, you know, they said, you know, some think you're a Old Testament prophet. Some John. You know, just there's a whole lot of theories out there. I mean, no, there's still a whole lot of theories out there. Well, you know, he was just a good man. He was... He's the brother of Joseph Smith or he's the offspring of the devil. There's all kinds of theories out there. But here's the question. It's not who everybody else says he is. He looks us square in the eye, square in our heart and says, but who do you say that I am? It's Peter that responds. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That same question is asked us today. Who is Jesus? Who is he? We we sing songs about him. We worship him. We talk about him. We pray to him. But who is he? One, he is either the son of God, the Christ, the savior of the world. Or he's a lunatic, a liar, and a madman. Period. There's, there's, there's nothing in between here. Well, you know, he's kind of a mixture of both. No, he's not. He's either the Christ or he's not. He's either the Savior or he's not. He's either true or he's a liar. I was doing some surfing on the internet the other day and ran across this website that says, um, in essence was saying, this is how we know that Jesus is imaginary. Well, it caught my attention. I'm like, okay, prove it. And through a series of scriptures and a series of prayers, they said, pray this prayer. And if this doesn't happen, Jesus is imaginary. I'm looking for the comment box at the bottom of the webpage 
contact us, you know, because I'm going, oh, man, you have missed it. You have swung and struck out. You're way off. You see, Jesus isn't about, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever. He, he's not a magic genie in a bottle. You know, Jesus, if you're real, make a Corvette appear in these altars. Don't see it. But does that mean he's not real? I always love, and and I'm going to bust on some of you Facebookers. Pass this along if you love Jesus. My first thought is, well, if I don't, does that mean I don't love him? I'm going... Really? We, we have negated the, the almighty creator down to sharing a little post on faith. Come on, folks. He is the savior of the world. And if we expect to go to heaven. Now, listen, I've only been to one funeral where the preacher said this person didn't go to heaven. Flat out said it. He went to hell. And I sat back going, Whoop, preach it. But every other funeral, they've all went to heaven. And I'm wondering, is there a magic coffin that we get to go whoo, automatically ship it to heaven, FedEx or UPS, whichever you like. Don't want to, you know. Listen, when we die, we go to one of two places, heaven in the presence of God or hell separation from God. I have no desire to go to hell. I've spent too many Arkansas Augusts to understand. I don't want to go there. Come on now. I want to go to heaven. Not because there's great people there. Not because I've got family there. But because Jesus is there. Jesus is my Savior. He's given me access to the Father through Him. That's why I want to go to heaven. But I'm only going there. If I have a relationship with Jesus. Luke tells us. Jesus rather tells us in Luke 13. Unless we repent. We all perish. Unless we repent. We all perish. It's not a matter of if you sinned. It's a matter of if you've repented. Because we've all sinned. But lest we fall into thinking that we can repent today and therefore never need to repent again and live the way we please, John the Baptist asked the religious leaders to bring forth fruit, proving repentance. Prove you got saved. Well... There's a certificate down at First Assembly that said, no, no, no. That's not proving nothing. Lord, you can print off certificates all day long on the internet. I could, be a, I could, I could have a PhD by tomorrow. Do you know that? In kinesiology. And I can't even spell that. I did good to say it. You can get certificates that say anything. But John said to the religious leaders of that day, Bring us proof you've repented. Well, I'm a member at... No, no. 
I, I was baptized. No, no. You know, I shook the preacher's hand. Yeah, so did the guy at the bar the other night. Not that I was there. There was, there was somebody else. It was another preacher. Listen to me. We, dear Jesus, forgive me. We prove repentance by the way we live. Yes, there must come that moment that we repent and that we ask God for forgiveness. But proof of my heart's condition is my actions from that moment forward. Don't tell me that we could come and repent one day and then never ever come to church, read the Bible, pray, do as we will for the rest of our lives. And somehow we're going to make it into heaven. I just don't believe it. Because John said, you bring forth fruit to prove your repentance. My fruit is the way I live. Matter of fact, I think Jesus even said that you will be known by the fruit you bear. See, it's not a judgment call. It's a fruit inspector. And if the fruit's rotten, the core's rotten. Bring forth fruit. How would, if somebody came up to you tomorrow and said, prove to me you repented. Well, here's how. Look at my life. Look at my life. Look at how I live. Look how I treat people. Look how I treat my neighbor. Look how I worship. Look, 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 at, look at my life. Paul said, follow me. Watch my example as I follow Christ. Now, I, I, I'm not too big on you following me. I'm all about following Jesus. Brother Mark, if you and your team would come, I want to bring this service to a close. Let me, let me close with a story that everybody in this room, most everybody in this room, when Apple founder Steve Jobs died, there were many posts on various websites about his spirituality. Steve Jobs was a Buddhist. One cartoon depicted him standing at the pearly gate while St. Peter fumbles through the book of life. Steve Jobs is holding a tablet in his hand and he says, I got a nap for that. Cute. Yeah. Nice sentiment. Yeah. But does it fit the proclamation of Jesus that he is the only way to the Father? No. I know we don't like to think about it, church, but listen to me. If Steve Jobs died without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he's in hell right now. I know that I know that doesn't sound good, and I know that probably doesn't make a lot of fans in the spiritual world because we like to think that he's an inclusive God. One way, Jesus. Period. A guy by the name of Pastor Bert Brock said this about Steve Jobs. He said, and I quote, I agree that Steve Jobs made an impact upon the world and my sympathies are with his family and friends. But oh, how I wish someone would say that Jesus made even a bigger impact on the world. One you can't even compare to Steve Jobs.
Technology is one thing, but eternity is something else. I found this quote. I'm closing. I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a scripture. I'm closing with this, and I want to read a scripture. Steve Jobs is quoted as saying this, that he wanted to make a dent in the universe. That quote is attributed. Steve Jobs says, I want to make a dent in the universe. May I say that Jesus came not to make a dent, but to fix us. He came to fix the mess that we are. Through Jesus, I close with this. Romans chapter number 10, begin reading in verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel as that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is in the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ upon or up from the dead. But what it does say. The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preached. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God offers salvation to us today. The word says that today is the day of salvation. God offers it to you as a free gift, as a gift that releases and erases your past, puts you on a new course for the future, and gives you a hope in your heart. And I know this morning that we could spend the rest of the day Preacher, what about this? Preacher, what about this? What do you have to say about this? What do you think about this theory? What about this doctrine? What does it say? when? No, 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 no. The most important thing is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, boy, or girl will ever come to my father except through me. Two things. One, 
if you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be saved. Flat out, period. Don't care how many times you've been dunked in the tank, how many times you've shaken the preacher's hand. If you've not made a public confession or have not made a confession in your heart and with your own mouth, you're not saved. Don't care how spiritual mom and dad are or grandma and grandpa are. This is about you. My son will not go to heaven because dad preaches. My son will go to heaven because he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. The happiest and the saddest day in all of history will be the rapture of the church. Because on that day, we as believers will be called up to heaven to be with the Lord forever and ever. But those people that we love, work with, go to school with, that don't know Jesus, will be left behind. It's a happy and sad day. But today, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not worried about other theories, not worried about other doctrines. Simply put, is Jesus the way? Yes. And do you have a relationship with him? Yes or no? Nothing else. And two, are you bringing forth fruit as a person who is saved? Are you producing fruit that proves what you confess to be? Simply put, 